When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast here on a Tuesday, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Minutes after we found out that the Browns and Steelers are going to play at 1 o'clock on Sunday at Acrisure Stadium, I guess is, is what it's called now. I got that right yesterday, as, as Ashley informed me. So, uh, Mary Kay, we're going to do some questions from our Football Insider subscribers, and I want to start here with something about the defense, but not specific to Joe Woods. This comes from Anthony in Columbus. Hey, Mary Kay, would Andrew Barry consider an entirely different philosophical approach to rebuilding the defense, an emphasis on the D-line and producing pressure up front over speed and coverage? Well, you know, I do think that they have to be a little bit more versatile, and they found that out as the season went along. Instead of just having some of the smaller, shiftier linebackers that uh, can cover tight ends and cover backs out of the backfield and really be focused on the passing game, they figured out along the way that they have to be able to stop the run. And that's why you saw the Reggie Raglins come on board. That's why Sione Taki Taki was really starting to get some playing time because these guys can stop the run. They're a little bit bigger, a little stockier, And they figured out that that that's going to be necessary. And then we also heard uh, Jason Tarver, the linebackers coach, talking about JOK needing to be, uh, you know, a little built up from a physical standpoint. So I think that uh, there will be an emphasis on that in the offseason. I do think that they will uh, add to the defensive tackle room with a significant acquisition there. And then from a philosophical standpoint, um, I've been thinking about this and what I would do is I would keep Joe Woods. I have no idea if they will do that or not. I feel like the vibe seems to be leaning towards him not sticking around, Um, but I would keep him and then I would either hire an assistant head coach slash defense to help oversee it, or I would have somebody else on the defensive staff Uh, That would be, you know, coming in to take on a larger role. Uh, So I I would try to have there be some continuity because as the season has gone along, they've started to play better and they're starting to come around and they're starting to get those takeaways. So I don't know if now is the time to shake everything up and change everything. But I I do think change is probably afoot. I just don't know if, if it's really necessary to, you know, shake the whole thing up. Do you think that's something Joe would go for or he'd be okay with because I 
I think it would be tough for a lot of coordinators to, and look, the, the opposite option is we're going to fire you. So I guess he would be, but I could see it being tough for a coordinator to have his head coach say, Hey, we're going to bring in somebody who's going to be kind of close to you in a role. I would imagine that there would be some looking over his shoulder um, if, if the Browns did something like that. So, so would Joe be okay with that? Do you think? You know, once again, it depends on, uh, you know, what other opportunities you might have, how much you want to keep the job that you currently have, how comfortable you are with what they would be proposing. Uh, again, I think I feel it, you feel it. The vibe seems to be a parting of the ways almost seems inevitable, right? Does it feel that way to you? It does. It really felt like it on Thursday when we talked to Coach Prefer and Coach Woods. And I think we're really going to, I think we're really going to come away with a pretty good sense of things when we talk to these guys again this week. Um, Cause it's, it'll be like the last time that we're going to talk to them if, if they're actually gone. So um, I, I think we're really going to have a solid feel for that this week. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I I've stated on this podcast and on our other podcasts that I wish they could find a way uh, to keep some continuity uh, on that, on that defense with, with Joe Woods and, I think there were so many extenuating circumstances this season with all of the injuries and with a, you know, a lack of just that building up through the middle of the defense so that they could stop the run. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it would be hard in some cases to accept a little bit of a lesser role or a shared role or some kind of oversight in the process. But um you know, it just depends. I mean, if Robert Sala is going to hire him or somebody that he's worked with in his career, I mean, Joe Woods is pretty respected in NFL circles. And, you know, he's got a lot of people out there uh, that really believe in him. So if he has another opportunity, then he would probably be more reluctant to accept something like that. Um, But I just don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for them to try to come up with some kind of an arrangement. Again, doubt it'll happen, but that's what I would probably do. So we talk a lot about the defensive tackle position. I was thinking about this today. Another area where I think they've, they kind of messed up this off season was they never really found that third edge rusher. I I thought tack McKinley was really important to this team because he was just, he was a great fit as just the guy that came in on, on rushing downs you know, they needed him to, to play. They needed him to start the one game without Clowney. And every now and again, they would need him to play a little more. And, and he, he was fine in those spots. But just as that third edge rusher, he was so good for this team that, that year they brought him in. And this year they just, you know, Alex Wright hasn't really done it. Isaiah Thomas can't even get active right now. Chase Winovich hasn't really delivered. They're sword. I think they're missing that. And, and we've seen it this year with, you know, we saw Miles miss time. We've seen Jadavion miss time. I think that's an area, too, that along with defensive tackle, I, I really think they need to figure out. Obviously, they got to figure out what they're going to do with JD and at the number two spot. But then they've got to find that third guy on the edge, too. I think they really missed that guy this year. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think they thought that they had that guy with the combination of players that they acquired. They thought that maybe they could get five sacks out of Chase Winovich. Uh, They thought that Alex Wright was going to come in here and be able to get to the quarterback this year. How many, do you know how many sacks Alex has? I got to 
I got to look it up. I would um, have to look it up. I don't think it's mo- I don't think it's many. Yeah. So um, I don't have my notes in front of me right I'm, at this I'm very up second. His, his pro football reference right now. He has zero. Yeah, zero sacks. Okay. And Chase has was that his first of was the season? Was that his first yesterday? I think it was. Day. I think it might have been. Okay. So if that is true, yes, that was yes, that was his first. Okay. So. The combination of Alex Wright and Chase Winovich, and they were supposed to be your sort of, you know, rotation, Tack McKinley combo guy. Um, they got one sack out of those two guys. One. That's not enough. So you're right. They definitely need that guy. Um, unless they really believe that Alex Wright is going to come through and be that for them next year then they're going to have to be looking for that. And that is why I'm so adamant that they need to re-sign Jadavian Clowney. If you just looked at the plays in which he was on the field yesterday, he is a difference maker, especially in the run game right now. I mean, he's got, he still has the hustle. He still has plenty left in the tank, in my opinion. And I think Miles and Jadavian are such a good team together. I wouldn't be breaking that up right now. It's going to be hard enough to to get that third edge down. I certainly would not be, um, you know, messing with the number two. In my opinion, 11 games of Jadavian Clowney per season or 12, if you can get that out of him, is better than 17 games out of a lesser edge rusher. I would give him what he's worth. I think he's still worth a, a ton. He's such a smart player. The guys love him. Miles gets along with him. He compliments Miles. He wants to play with Deshaun Watson. I would do it. I I wouldn't hesitate. I would do it and um, and then try to figure out where you're going to get those other five and a half sacks. I don't think he would cost that much. I think, I mean, he's, he's he has two sacks this year. He's going to be thirty in February. It might be a situation where you've got to wait till June. For him to actually just say, "All right, fine, I'll sign for whatever," but I don't, I don't think he's going out there and getting like ten million dollars again. I, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think that would happen. No, and what you can do, obviously, is you know you can build those incentives into his deal. And if you remember, he ended up making like an extra million in the final two games of last season, or an extra seven hundred fifty thousand bucks in the final two games of last season with four late sacks. So. I would do that again, you know, help keep him motivated, give him something to get excited about and to play for. Uh, But I think with Deshaun Watson out there for the full season, I think Jadavian Clowney will be very motivated to go out there and try to help this team get to the Super Bowl. And I think he's a key piece and I don't think he's fallen off a cliff yet or anything like that. I still think he's got plenty enough left in the tank and I'm just very adamant that they need to do that. You and Ashley are going to talk me into this in about a month, for sure. <laughs> I mean, he look, I, I I do genuinely believe he likes being here. And I think he likes his teammates, and I think he's really well-liked on that defense. Um, yes. That's been one of the, like, being back in the locker room, you get to see these little glimpses, and it's not everything. It's only small windows of time, but you do get to pick up on some things. And I, I do genuinely believe that Jadavion Clowney is a very well-liked guy. in in that room, sort of like Sheldon Richardson used to be. Yeah. And he is, I wrote this the other day and I can't remember exactly what the grade is, 
but his PFF ranking is still pretty high. I mean, I think he's like 24th or something like that amongst qualifying edge rushers. That's really high. I mean, we're, we're talking about some players on defense and offense right now that are in the 100s, okay? So to be up in the 24s and to be playing at the level that he can play at, uh, that's not bad. And if you can get him at a bargain, a little bit of a bargain price with some really nice incentives for games played, games started, Pro Bowl, sacks, whatever, whatever the case may be, give him a little bit of extra upfront money. Um, you know, I, I would go ahead and and I would do it. Uh, you know, you just can't find Jadavian Clowney out there for the taking, at least not for the price that you would be able to get him at. Okay, so I didn't know it was this bad, and I would not have gotten this question right. I wouldn't have even come close. Miles Garrett leads the Browns with 15 sacks. Yep. Jadavion Clowney is not one of these two guys. Who do you think are second and third on the team in sacks right now? One has three, and the other has two and a half. Um, and I, would, I wouldn't have even come close on this. <laughs> yeah, I, I, did, I looked this up the other day, and now I'm forgetting... <laughs> Was one of them like Sione Taki Taki or something? No, uh, but it was. It is a linebacker. The third one is a linebacker. Yeah, um, Tony Fields. <laughs> no, so Taven Bryan has three sacks. Okay, and Dion Jones has two and a half. I think Dion might have gotten one of those cheap ones on like a when a wide receiver was throwing the ball or something. I yeah. don't know, but yeah, it's. It's been bad when it's come to, I know sacks aren't everything. They, they love pressures, but it's been pretty bad when it's come to uh, sacking the quarterback outside of Miles Garrett. Okay, well, so but oh, Dan, go ahead. Think about this. Last year, uh, Jadavian had nine, but four of those came in those final two games. And that final game was a throwaway game against the Bengals backups. So Jadavian's value doesn't necessarily come in sacks per se. But, but it does come in pressures, setting the edge, stopping the run, knowing where to be, and helping out Miles and taking a little bit of pressure off Miles. So, um, yeah, it is kind of weird that, that they it goes from 15 and then it drops down. It plunges down to three. That's not okay. They need one or two mid-tier guys in there that are going to get to the quarterback. And I wonder what the outlook is for – for Alex Wright. I wonder what they think about what he's going to be able to do going forward. You want your second year guys to take a nice big leap up into that second year. Um, and they're going to have to determine if he can do that. Yeah. He's, he's got some work to do. There's still, I think the physical traits are there for him, but he's, he's got some work to do. And, and by the way, with JD, he's never been, he's never been like a, a guy that gets a ton of sacks. I think he I th- has he even hit double digits in his career. No. Um, he's, so he's never really been like a, a huge, like just pile up the sacks guy. Nine and a half is his career high. He's, he's gotten to nine two other times outside of that nine and a half year. So yep. this is kind of who he is, but you do know you like, you notice him, you notice him when he's out there. Yes. And it's not just because he has awesome hair. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I'm a, uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a big JD fan. <laughs> So speaking of philosophy, uh, there were some questions about Paul De Podesta, and we'll take this one from, I don't think this is a real name, but Danimal from Powell, Ohio. <laughs> hey, Mary Kay, 
I believe that Paul D. Podesta is the biggest issue with the Browns. When are the Haslam's going to wake up and move on from him? Nine years of problems, and he is the common denominator. So I don't think it's been quite nine years, but it's not that far off. He was hired when Sashi got hired, correct? So that would have been the year that Hugh Jackson came on. So 2016, we are getting close to nine years. Yeah, seven that went fast. Seven or eight years, yeah. Boy, where did those seven years go, <laughs> right? Unbelievable. Um, so my feelings and thoughts on Paul D. Podesta, um, you know, people always want to have a problem with analytics and running the ball. I mean, the truth of the matter is if you run the numbers on the Browns running the ball, they're way up at the near the top of the league in terms of rushing attempts and, you know, the balance between passing the ball and running the ball. And that might change next year. I think it will change with Deshaun Watson being the quarterback for all 17 games, or at least from the beginning of the season. Um, you know, there, it, it will probably be a little bit more pass heavy. Um, but most of this year, even though what stands out in our minds is Kevin going for it quite often or pretty much all the time on fourth and short, um, they ran the ball more than anybody, I think, in the AFC, more, more rushing attempts possibly than anybody in the AFC. Um, they, were, they were right up there. In the, I think they were like fourth in the league or something like that. So I think it's just a misconception that they refuse to run the football. I mean, they, you know, Nick Chubb is only like 160 yards away from the rushing title. So, you know, I just don't think that, that Paul is the problem. I, I don't think he's the problem. I think the problem has been a number of things this year, uh, but just in general, it's been the quarterback issue. So they need, now they've got their quarterback. Let's see what everybody can do. Before we go lopping heads off, let's see what happens to this football team with Deshaun Watson at quarterback. And it's not always going to be beautiful, and it's not going to be easy in this division. I mean, this is a really, really good division full of really good quarterbacks. I'm going to be writing a little bit about that today. But, um, but, I just don't, I just don't think now is the time to be shaking things up too much, changing things up, you know, talking about Kevin Stefanski being on the hot seat, which he's not, um, taking play calling away from him. Let's everybody chill out and see what the team can do with Deshaun at quarterback, because I'll tell you what, an elite quarterback covers up a lot of ills. Okay. You don't have to be perfect in every other area of the football team. When you're throwing touchdown passes in the red zone and the end zone, you just, you don't have to be so perfect on defense or special teams or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of funny for all the talk of analytics and the Browns being this, you know, well, they're this super smart team that do things differently. Like it kind of all just comes down to you gave $230 million and gave up a bunch of draft picks to get a quarterback that of a caliber that never becomes available, that never hits the market. Right. I mean, there's, there's nothing analytical about that. There's nothing like, like, that's just, you know what, we've got the resources. We're going to go get this guy. Um, So that, that's sort of the, the irony in all this analytics debate, but you know, I look, I I do think Paul D. Podesta isn't free of, of criticism, but you know, he also hasn't been completely in control through all of this either. 
you know, when John Dorsey came in and hired Freddie Kitchens and I mean, Paul D. Podesta was not running the show when, when John Dorsey was here as, as the GM. Um, so, so those were a few lost years. Like you said, let, let's just see if this falls apart, if this doesn't go well next year, maybe even eight games into next year, you're going to start to see things change. And, you know, certainly we can talk about their draft process and we can talk about some of their free agency choices and, and some things like that. And maybe what role um, Paul and some of what he does has played into some of those choices. But I, I don't think there, there should necessarily be a target on him right now. And I, I do also think analytics becomes like this boogeyman that people just kind of point at and, and blame, but it's really just, it's just information. That's, that's all it is. It's just equipping people with as much information as possible and trying to make decisions based off of that. Yeah. And I mean, if you look around the league right now, the name of the game is explosive passing games. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about right now. And, you know, maybe it will shift back towards uh, more running the ball and supporting the pass with more uh, of a running game. But right now, I mean, we all watched the playoffs from last year. And it was just high-flying, exciting, explosive offenses. You know, as we are taping this on Monday, the day after the Commanders game, we're about to watch Joe Burrow and Josh Allen play tonight. You know, we watched Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes go at it last year. We watched Josh and Pat. I mean, we're going to watch Justin Herbert in the playoffs this year. That's what it's all about. And the Browns knew that they had to go get that guy. And to think that you're not going to pass the ball a lot when you have Deshaun Watson, well, I mean, that's just crazy talk. Uh, but you, you brought up a good point about, you know, Paul not being in control of a lot of things. That's very true. Because during those John Dorsey years, when Jimmy Haslam and the ownership group was erroneously trying to make John Dorsey and his group work with side by side with the analytics group and these two different clashing philosophies, you know, that's when, you know, John Dorsey added a lot of really good players to this football team, but he made a colossal mistake. I mean, he made one big, huge mistake. The number one thing that you have to get right in the year that you have the number one overall pick is you have to get the quarterback right. You have to get it right. Sashi got it wrong in 2017. And then John Dorsey came along and got it wrong in 2018. So back-to-back years of, of getting the quarterback wrong and screwing that up, and that is why the Browns had to go out and correct the mistake this past offseason. That's why they had to take the risk on Deshaun Watson. That's why they had to spend $230 million and also put their fan base in this city through the most controversial acquisition of a player ever because they didn't get it right. In 2017 and 2018, passing on Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Josh Allen, and you know, they're now they're going to hopefully for them make up for it, but it it didn't come without without a price. But that you know, like you said, that was not all Paul De Podesta because he was not calling the shots in 2018. Yeah, and, and I mean, look. You know, the Ravens are one of the most analytically driven organizations around. Um, There's a lot of teams that maybe don't quite get the buzz that the Browns do, but they, you know, 
there are some teams that have gigantic analytics departments and they drive some of their decision-making. Um, so yeah, yeah. You know, look, Paul, Paul will come under fire if things fall apart because this is his organization right now. And he's, you know, he brought in Kevin, brought in Andrew, like, you know, it, if, if this falls apart, it'll fall on him. But right now I, I don't think there's a whole lot of reason to necessarily have uh, Paul in the crosshairs. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. And then I've got a few more questions here from our football insider subscribers. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're here is in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, our Hey Mary Kay edition. Questions from our Football Insider subscribers. Let's get back to the defensive side of the ball. I think this is an an interesting question. Uh, This comes from Ken Lieb in Westchester, Ohio. Hey Mary Kay, this question keeps popping up in my mind. The defense, notably the secondary, has performed well over the past few weeks. At the start of the season, they had people missing because of injury. They played a rookie at cornerback. However, it doesn't excuse the confusion and blown coverages over the first several games. So what Ken is wondering, um, he can't help but wonder if they don't play the starters enough during the preseason. Do you think that was an issue with the defense? You know, I'm not really sure about that. I guess you probably could play them a little bit more in the preseason, I don't know what the reason is necessarily for the slow start. There have been a lot of injuries and a lack of continuity on the defense. A lot of guys like Denzel Ward, for instance, he didn't practice in training camp. I think training camp practices in my mind mean more than the preseason games per se. You know, if if a guy misses a ton of training camp, generally it impacts him. That sets the foundation for the season. I've seen guys really struggle when they don't spend a ton of time in training camp because of injuries. And I think that's been the problem the last two years. I mean, when you look back to the previous year, there were like guys all over standing on the sidelines in bucket hats with hamstring injuries. Remember that? And I think it leads to a slow start. And so um, I think that's what happened again this year. And then right off the bat, you lose your green sticker guy in, in Anthony Walker, who was off to a great start. Uh, in the system at middle linebacker, and it just kind of spiraled from there. Guys that they thought were going to uh, jump off the screen and the page right from the jump didn't do that. The Jordan Elliotts, the Jacob Phillips, the Grant Delpits. I mean, it took all of them a little while to get going. Denzel Ward off to a, a very slow start, um, I think in part because of the hamstring injury. And one thing just led to another. And I think that is why I give I would give Joe Woods another chance. I, I don't know if he'll get it, uh, but I would give him another chance because I think he was trying to hold it together with smoke and mirrors at sometimes this season. Yeah, preseason games aren't they aren't a great simulation of a regular season game, weirdly enough, because you know you might not be playing the starters on the other side. You might not you know, offenses aren't really testing you. They aren't really showing you anything because they don't want to put anything on tape. I I guess there's a case to be made that you're, 
you know, it's something different and you're going to see some unexpected things and you have to do a little bit of prep work for the game, um, I guess. So, yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I think it's more about getting good, really good work in training camp. And I, you know, I don't know if Kevin will sort of change his approach in camp or not. They do a lot of, I, I guess, like his camp practices aren't like other camp practices I've seen. They're very, you know, the pace is really good. You see what they want to get done and they get it done. But, you know, maybe another competition period or something. I I, I don't know. I don't know if he would change up his, his training camp practices to maybe kind of ramp guys up a little quicker. Um, that That's maybe something to keep an eye on. Yeah. And, you know, what they do love now, I don't love them, but the coaches love them are those joint practices. They felt like they got so much out of those joint practices this year with the Eagles. And I'm sure they'll do it again this coming summer uh, with the Eagles or someone else. But um, but absolutely, they value those more than the preseason games because a lot of times those are just a recipe for somebody getting hurt, for, you know, back tier guys trying to, you know, trying to make their mark. And so, you know, we'll have to see. But I think it, the lack of continuity had more to do with injuries and guys kind of standing around on the sideline, not being able to play, and then uh, then them getting injured. I mean, when you look at it, so many guys missed a chunk of games, whether it was three or four or five games, or in some cases, most of the season, they just were not intact much of the year. I, I will say those joint practices against the Eagles, um, I kind of regret that I didn't read more into them than I did because they kind of got out physical a little bit in those practices and they kind of got bullied uh, by a team that, that has turned out to be really, really good. Um, so, you know, maybe they do carry a little meaning, at least for us watching on the outside. And I, are they supposed to practice with the Eagles again this year? I think so. Was yeah. That, was that supposed to be a home and home? Or yeah, something? I think so. so. Yeah. I think that's what they talked about. Yes. That, that would be an, another good test to, to go out there and, and go against them a couple of times, uh, even though, like you said, I don't think the players love it. It does sort of increase your risk. Uh, yeah. But they did do – Kevin and, and Nick Sirianni did do a pretty good job of guys taking care of each other. And it was never like – you know, they weren't tackling to the ground. It never got super – like super physical or I don't think there were any fights or anything. They they did a pretty good job of protecting guys. Yeah, they did. I mean, it was very, very productive. They got really good work in and I think they got way more out of those practices than they did out of the preseason games. And um, I expect them to do it again. And, um, but again, like I said, more so than anything, I think it's going to be about, hoping that you guys, that they have guys that can practice more uh, than they did this year. And it's going to be interesting to see because some guys are coming off of some surgeries, you know, on your, especially on your, your defense. I mean, you've got Sione Takitaki, ACL, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, potentially a foot surgery. Um, So, you know, we'll have to see who's going to be able to practice this year and who's not. And you want to be careful too, because, you know, as much as you want guys practicing, you also don't want a guy to push too hard and then you don't have him for a month at the start of the season. So it's a, it's a tricky balance. Um, especially now, again, going back to having all this data and having all this information available to you to, to kind of protect guys. 
it's, it can be a tricky balance to, to get guys out there. Okay, speaking of toughness, this comes from Bob Gillespie in Villa Hills, Kentucky. Hey, Mary Kay, after watching Pittsburgh beat, beat Baltimore on Sunday night, the Steelers should be admired for their toughness and grit. Those are a couple of good AFC North terms. Do you see this week's game as a measure of the Browns' level of toughness and grit? Well, one thing that, that we have seen in the past few weeks uh, is that the Browns are playing really, really incredibly hard. What they might be missing a little bit of is a little bit of that nastiness. You know, the AFC North is a little bit of a nasty division. Usually, uh, you know, there's, you know, it gets chippy on the field. It gets verbal in the week leading up to the games. These are really, really intense games. So I, we know that the Browns are going to play really hard. And yes, I think that in some respects, it will be a measure of, of that grit and that toughness. Uh, but I do think the Browns need to add an enforcer or two on defense, somebody that's, you know, just not all that nice. I mean, you know what I mean? Especially on the football field, guys that have a little bit of an edge to them. So many of the Browns players are just those green sticker. And I, I mean, different than the green sticker that's on the helmet. I mean, what Eric Mangini used to call green sticker guys. Like when you're getting drafted, if you just have impeccable high character, you get the green sticker and that's all well and good. But, you know, every once in a while, you just need somebody that's just got that, that edge to them on defense. And I feel like they could possibly use one or two more of those guys. Um, You know, maybe they can look for that quality in their defensive tackle. And I'm thinking of a guy like, I mean, you don't want anybody to like cross over that line, but like an Indomitian Sue, not him per se, but a guy like that, that has, you know, a little bit of an edge to them. And you do have to keep an eye on them every once in a while to make sure they're not, uh, you know, just going outside the lines. But I feel like, you know, when you look at the Steelers, you know, when you look at the Ravens, when you look at, you know, to the Bengals to a certain extent, uh, there is just that little bit of, um, you know, nastiness to them. And the Browns need a little bit more of that. Yeah, I I agree. I think they could use a little bit of edge, uh, you know, on their defense. They've been surprisingly, I don't want to say good because they've gone three and three in both of Kevin's years in the AFC North this year. If they beat the Steelers, they'll go four and two. If they lose, they'll be three and three again. They actually matched up weirdly well in the AFC North. Mm -hmm. Like even these last two seasons that have been so disappointing, they've kind of matched. Some of that is you got to play Tyler Huntley last week or not last week, but a couple weeks ago, instead of Lamar Jackson, we see what that offense looks like with Huntley there. He played Mitch Trubisky in the the first Steelers game. And we've seen Kenny Pickett kind of develop. Kenny's a little weird. Like he might struggle all game, but if he's within a score at the end, he's going to drive down and win it, which that's a pretty good trait to have. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been strange how they've kind of matched. And we've talked about the Bengals up until the last time they played. It's weird how they've matched up relatively well with the AFC North, but I do kind of agree with you. And I agree with our texter. If you're going to tell me that this is going to be like a 13 to 10, just ugly game and say, okay, who's going to be the winner in that, in that matchup, I would have to take the Steelers. I think they're just, for whatever reason, they're just built to, to win a gritty, ugly game like that. Yeah, and, and they're going to be at home. They have so much on the line, so much to play for. It's going to be their first 
shot at Deshaun Watson. And, you know, Deshaun has a tendency to hang on to the ball a little bit. So these guys are going to be, you know, like sharks in the water. Uh, So, yeah, I think um, it's going to be very, very intense. But the Browns match up well in the AFC North by design. I mean, they they worked hard to make sure uh, that they had answers for Lamar Jackson and what they do over there in Baltimore, and that they had answers for Joe Burrow and that band of receivers. So, you know, they worked, they've worked very hard to be able to defensively to get to the quarterback, um, you know, to cover receivers either in man or zone on the back end with a lot of really good defensive backs. So, um, you know, there, there is a reason for that. And that's what you have to do. I mean, you have to build for that. And they have done that. But as you mentioned, they've gotten a few breaks along the way uh, where they didn't have to face Joe Burrow twice last year. They did not have to face Lamar Jackson twice this year. And um, and who knows? We might be saying the same thing about Kenny Pickett, uh, you know, that they they caught a break by not having to face him twice as well. We'll see how that goes. But uh, he's certainly heating up at the end of football games. I, I mean, I think they definitely caught a break <laughs> not having to play Kenny Pickett. I think, you know, I think he's still kind of in that tier below the other guys. Well, I don't even want to say a tier, but like, you know, he, he still has a lot to prove, but he's shown, he's definitely shown some things, including Sunday night uh, when, when he led that, that drive against the Ravens. That was, those are impressive things. Those are moments that stand out to you and, and make you think, Hey, they might, uh, they might just have something here with this guy. Uh, Walter in Warren, Ohio, we'll end with this one. It's a depressing one for Browns fans. Uh, Hey, Mary Kay, let's say the Browns were eight and three when Deshaun Watson came back. Uh, let's give them the Jets win, the Falcons win, Chargers and Ravens. I don't know if that, if that adds up, but eight and three when he came back, how would you have felt about their chances in the playoffs as Deshaun Watson works off the rust? Oh, at, at eight and three, I, I think it would. It <laughs> that been that would mean their defense had played pretty well all year too. Like you have to, so then you're feeling really good about things. Oh yeah, at eight and three, uh, I, I would have said it would be a no brainer at that point. I think even at uh, six and five, I, th- I think I could. I think that he's kind of asking though, like how you would have felt. Had they made the play, how would you, how you would have felt they would have done had they made the playoffs? I think that's what. Oh, I'm sorry. I think okay. that's what he's getting at. Okay. I hope because you're right. At eight and three, it's a no brainer. They would have made yeah. the playoffs. Um, I would have felt uh, really good about the Browns in the playoffs right now. I think the way the Browns are playing right now, when you look at Deshaun's connection with Amari Cooper, and then, you know, there are times when, uh, you know, he and Donovan Peoples Jones have really connected very well. David has been struggling a little bit lately for whatever reason, uh, but Nick Chubb is still running like crazy. Uh, the offensive line is playing pretty well, although Jack Conklin might be out for these for this last game with an ankle injury, um, which you don't want that to happen when you've got T.J. Watt across the uh, the line there. But um, you know, I think that this is a Cleveland Browns team that not many teams would have wanted to face with Miles and Jadavian and the secondary playing well and Deshaun, I would have felt very, very good about the Browns in the playoffs this year. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't think you'd expect them. Like, I don't know that you'd expect them to go into Kansas city and win necessarily, but 
again, if they were eight and three, that means their defense was pretty good. Miles right. is probably having a great year. They'd have right. beaten a team like the Chargers and stuff already. So you'd at least go into that game with a chance. Same with, you know, you'd, you'd feel like, okay, you have, you have a chance to go there and win, whether you would pick it, whether it would actually happen or not. Um, if they were good enough to get to eight and three without Deshaun Watson, that that's a that would be a pretty good football team. Yeah, it would be a really good football team. And as you mentioned, that would mean that the defense uh, was doing its job and that the special teams was doing its job. And that's what didn't happen for most of this year. Those two uh, units were a liability instead of an asset. Didn't pull their weight and you know and help Jacoby Brissett get those six victories that he needed to hand over to Deshaun Watson to keep the train rolling along. Okay. Well, that will do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. All those questions came from our football insider subscribers, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info about that and get signed up. You get a newsletter every day. You get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com. And of course you become one of our texters and subscribe to this podcast on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and Check us out on YouTube. It's just an audio version of the pod, but if you prefer uh, hanging out on YouTube and listening there, just search for Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com and you'll find our Browns YouTube channel. And we do stand-ups after every practice. We do practice videos, press conference videos. There's lots of stuff there too, just besides podcasts. So so join our, we got a bunch of subscribers on that page. So join the crew over there as well. Uh, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great. <laughs>